Welcome, Charlton fans, to the third episode of Brownie and Benji. It is me, Benji Nurek. I'm delighted to be joined today by Steve Brown. More than 240 appearances for Charlton Athletic, two different promotions. More recently, you might have heard him on Valley Pass. How are you doing today, Brownie? Very well, thanks, Benji. Just uh, been tidying up the garden. Got some building works going on, so uh, forgive the appearance. As, as per usual, every I must I should say that every week. If there are any young children watching, you might want to turn their heads away, you know, just in case this isn't what they want to see. Well, fortunately, <laughs> I think we're only putting out an audio to protect them. All. Oh, good, good. Then we've saved them the trouble. Carry on. <laughs> well, it's been another interesting week for Charlton Athletic. I feel like I say that every single time. Admittedly, no actual football to talk about in this midweek but there was a game at the weekend Nigel Atkins first game in charge away at Wimbledon and you know we might as well start there Brownie so you were you were at the game we were able to chat a little bit you were commentating on it for Valley Pass what what, what were your thoughts uh, uh yeah I, I mean obviously uh, I thought if you if you're Nigel Atkins you've just walked in the building you're going to be leaning a lot on the current staff I would have thought for Saturday's game and I think I think it's actually quite nice that he's got the international break now to sit down with all the players and and, and start to implement, uh, you know, what he would like to see. Uh, for the game itself, I thought it was a missed opportunity. I have to be honest. I, I came away from the game, driving home that evening, and I thought that's that's absolutely without any shadow of a doubt, two points dropped. Mm. And I'll give you the reasons why I thought that. And it actually felt like a loss. I, I was driving home thinking, oh, that, you know, that feeling you get when he seems lost. I felt like that a little bit, which I shouldn't have done. But that's how I felt when I was driving home. And it was, I, and I guess it's because their home form was pretty dreadful, you yeah. know, throughout the season. They're in the relegation zone. Uh, they've got a very uh, small budget for that squad. Um, and, and I just thought it was a great opportunity with the form we were in you know, and the points mm-hmm. we'd accumulated on, on on the five games previous that, that, that uh, you know, we, we should have gone there in a, and, and actually performed better than we did. The second half kind of left me scratching my head a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think I think what leads me to be really disappointed, Benji, is, is the fact that we led twice. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like we it wasn't like we went behind twice and caught up. And therefore, actually, it's a valuable point. Yeah. We led twice. And actually, I could see us going to extend that lead to three and four one. Um, you know, when the halftime whistle went, all right, I thought, right, okay, we'll, we'll see a second half performance before we, we extend the lead, and didn't, and actually spent mm. the majority of it on the back foot, Benji. Um, Piggott hitting the post. Uh, they had a very quick counter attack as well mm. uh, with uh, Longman, and, and yeah, and, and and you know they could have picked something there. And I thought we became a little bit disjointed as the game went on, and it made these substitutions. All three strikers came on, and they they didn't look like they were playing as a three. They look very individual to me, you know, just running in their own little channels, running their own little pockets with no communication or no sort of linking up with the others. And it became a little bit disjointed. So I think Nigel, you know, um, will look at that game and and he hasn't lost. It's another point, you know, so that's 12 points in six games, which, as you know, if you're getting two points a game, you're very much in promotion form. So, let you know, we mustn't lose sight of the fact that that's the last six games, even though I've come away a little bit disappointed. And I'm sure... The players have a little bit, and I'm mm-hmm. sure the coaching staff have a little bit. But um, we mustn't forget that that's 12 points in six games, and 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 still the unbeaten run goes on. Mm-hmm. So we mustn't forget that. But I just felt like that was a great opportunity to get three points, and I was a little bit disappointed with the second half performance, as I'm sure they were. 
Mm, yeah, no, I'd, I'd absolutely have to agree with you there. And I think the thing that made me come out of it kind of feeling a little bit flat was just that there was real opportunities in that game to, to push on with the momentum that had been growing for the club and for the team. Even in the individual game, you look at halftime, you, 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 you get the lead back after, after Wimbledon equalized. And that should push you on. You should have momentum going into the second half to really close out the game in, you would think, a dominant fashion. And instead, Wimbledon grew stronger and stronger. And obviously, the goal that was gifted their way certainly helped in, the, in, in, in pushing that momentum. But it was disappointing to see them become the stronger team as the game wore on, as opposed to Charlton. Even if Chucks and Nike hit the post late on, it still felt as if Wimbledon throughout the second half were going to be the more likely team. And so in the individual game, it was frustrating that Charlton couldn't push through with their momentum. And then, as you said, in terms of the run as a, in, its, in, in a larger context, it was disappointing that they couldn't push on with the momentum because the previous games had been good. The midweek win against Bristol Rovers was obviously fantastic and exciting and should have really driven the team. And then the start of the game at Wimbledon, it seemed like that was going to be the case. And it seemed like they were really going to harness that positive momentum from the midweek game, from Nigel Adkins' appointment. And in the end, as you said, the second half was just flat and, and it, it kind of felt like it was a wasted opportunity, as you said. But, you know, international break, I think, has come at the perfect time because off that disappointment, yeah. it's good that Nigel Adkins, I think, doesn't have to go straight into a game. He's got two weeks almost to, to, to plan how he wants to play and actually discuss with the players and figure out what needs to change. So going with that, obviously, as, we, as I said, international break has come at a good time. What, what do you think Adkins needs to work on? What do you think his targets will be during this period so that Charlton can come back against Doncaster on, I think, Friday, April the 2nd and, and get that run going that, that they need, the winning run that they need? Yeah, I, I think in terms of what he's seen, so he can only really base what he's going to do next off of what he's seen. And I'm sure he will have uh, been watching uh, footage of Doncaster to see what he can find out about them and how he can uh, exploit any weaknesses they may have and stop what they do well. But it, it, he can only reflect on the Wimbledon game. Mm. And, and things that I picked up on the Wimbledon game would be the things like, what, how do we look at our best or our strongest? Well, not how, when did we look at our, our mm. best or our strongest? And, and did we get stronger when the substitutes come on? Did we get weaker? You know, he'll analyse the two goals and he'll understand who sort of made the... I call it the breakdown, okay? So mm. within any, any goal you concede, I call it the breakdown. There is a point, right? There might be even several points, but there's a point where someone's done something that you have not asked them to do. You've not coached them to do it. They've decided upon themselves they're going to do something. They've been caught out. They've lost concentration. They're in the wrong position. They've technically let you down. We saw that in the second goal. Mm. There's nothing anyone can do about that other than say, you know, he has to take more responsibility and possession. It was a flick with the outside of the left foot, which no one likes to see. Defenders should be flicking balls with the outside of their boot back to their goalkeeper. It should make sure it gets there. That's an individual technical error. It, it doesn't really need going over. Mm. You know, Fanwell will go home in the car that night, extremely disappointed with no, himself, no, 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 with no, that no, moment. No, no, yeah, you don't really need to go over that. You don't need to show him it. You, don't, you may just give him a wink and go, you know, that's the last one you do with him. You know, because he knows. He, he hasn't got to tell somebody that that is a mistake. That the, but if you take the first goal mm. and why we were so open when that ball came in, you have to look at the left back again. You know, I've only seen a very brief 20-second piece of footage 
within two minutes of the goal itself. And, the, and, and Martson is marking absolutely nobody, as far as I could see. Again, it's different, Benji. You need to see, like I've said to you in the past, you need to see a good minute of footage to how we get to that point. Mm. It's no good just analysing six seconds because things have happened before that that's affected the play up to that point. But as far as I could see, Martson had pushed himself into an area where there was no opposition player. So there was no need to leave his left-back berth. By leaving the left-back left back berth, that forced Pierce to come out left. That forced Fainwell to come across. Gunter couldn't get across quick enough. And we're all at sea. Mm-hmm. So that's the sort of thing that Nigel Atkins will look at and work on. Just a little word with the back line saying, look, if this happens again, if there's no player there, I'd like you to stay there and our structure's solid behind the ball. It's going to be things like that that he's going to be working on. Mm. Okay, in terms, of, in terms of what I felt Saturday, and this is, Nigel might, and, and the coaching staff and the players might think something completely different, and that's the beauty of football. We all coach and manage in different ways. We all see things in a different way. And I just thought our strengths lied on, in the early part of the game, in the wide areas. Mm. And, and, and both the goals came down the left-hand side. Miller provided two assists. Now, obviously, on the sidelines, they saw something that was affecting us, that Wimbledon were doing. And they made an adjustment accordingly to stop that. Right? But we were in the lead and we looked dangerous mm. in wide areas. Now, they, they had a lot of ball through midfield. They had an overload in there. Uh, and they were receiving the balls quite deep with players under no pressure. And somebody somewhere has thought that that needs to be stopped. But what we did is we put Miller alongside a striker, which I don't think suits him. He definitely can't play with his back to goal. He's not great in tight areas when he was receiving with his back to goal. He doesn't really know what's around him. That's something he's got to learn and learn quickly. And then you put, and obviously came on a sub, and that was another thing. We haven't even spoke about Connor Washington going yeah. after two minutes. So we changed our formation straight away. We didn't bring on another striker and stay in the formation we were in. We brought on a midfielder for a striker and, and changed formation straight away. You know, and we put Jaya Simi in behind. Mm. Uh, in behind a, a strike. Uh, what did we do? Sorry, I've well, lost he, track. Brown, oh, yeah, Miller went, Miller went up front and Jai Simi went in the top of a diamond, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've got two wingers who I thought were quite dangerous. They might not have been in the game as much as you have wanted, but when they were in the game, they were quite dangerous. Mm. One scored, one made two assists. And I thought their four, you know, no disrespect to our two women, but I thought their fullbacks were their weakest players. And by removing the two wide players and going into a diamond, you've kind of let them off. Mm. That's, just my, uh, that's just my humble opinion as a, an observer on the day, right? And, and don't get me wrong, I've been manager on the sidelines where you've made decisions and at the end of the game, you're driving home going, oh, what did you do that for? <laughs> Why? That did not work at all. You know, you've missed this. You've, you've forgotten, uh, not forgotten, but you've made a substitution that hasn't gone your way. You've made a formation change. It didn't work. We've all been there, right? Mm. And these are split decisions you make and... and it's certainly not a criticism from me. Just, a, just an observation that Nigel might look at that game from Saturday and go, OK, that diamond didn't work with Jai Simi and Miller in it. OK, with Miller up top, didn't work. And Jai Simi top top didn't work. So if I'm going to play those two, they've got to play wide. Those are all the things that Nigel's going to be looking at. And of course, he'll be leaning still on Johnny Jackson, who's been there for a very long time. Uh, but he'll be also be making his own mind up about what he feels about the characters of the team, the formations we play. Uh, you know, and, and what, what what system? You know, he's got to find a system that best suits uh, the, the players he has in his mind, because it is now mm. Nigel Atkins who sits there. Like I'm talking to you now, 
Nigel Atkins is sitting there and he's in charge of that group and he's got to find a system that works best, uh, that, that adopts his way because he, he will have a certain way of playing, um, you know, it'll be different to Lee Bowyer. So mm-hmm. that's what he'll be doing over the next two weeks whilst trying to learn or get, or, or you know, or get better acquainted with the squad itself as well. That's what he'll be doing. Um, training will be bright and lively. That's without mm-hmm. any shadow of a doubt. You'll see a spike in training because everybody wants to play now. Yeah. And this is what I'm saying. Players that perhaps didn't get an opportunity under Lee. You know, you look at Jai Simi's come on scored. He didn't really get many starting minutes. He'll be looking at it going, oh, I need to be bright and lively in training mm-hmm. over the next two weeks because I want to start in this team. You know, things like that will be going on. Uh, so... You know, it's it's uh, you know. At first, I mean, we spoke last week, and I said I would give Johnny Jackson the the opportunity. They didn't, you know, and that's that's absolutely, you know, the owner's prerogative. Mm. Um, absolutely, you know, he do what he wants. He's brought in Nigel. Now we make the best of, of of the situation we've got. I did have a little chat with Johnny Jackson actually Saturday, and understandably, Benji, he was going to be down. Mm. Understandably. There was an opportunity there that he could have become child manager and he desperately wants to be child manager one day. And I think he's probably deserved the right to be child manager. You know, the, the career he's had as a player and then he's gone straight into that coaching role where he's done very, very well. Mm-hmm. He's in a promotion already as an assistant manager and he'll be itching to start. But, you know, my advice to him, and I can comfortably tell you guys now, was, was that, you know, having been in a situation where you kind of want to run before you can walk sometimes. There is no harm in Johnny sitting tight with Nigel mm. and just having a look at another manager's ways and another manager's methods. And his time will come. He's a young man. He's a young man and he's got plenty of time. And the Charlton fans absolutely adore him. Yeah. So do you, do you leave and go somewhere where you're not known? Or do you just stick around, learn off of Nigel Adkins? You know, let, let's be honest with you, Benji. None of us know the future. Johnny might not get a chance to manage Charlton, right? But there is no harm in him spending the next two and a half years next to Nigel, sucking in all the good things that Nigel brings to the table, learning more and more every day at a club where you're very well received. There's nothing much better than that because there's a lot of clubs that won't receive you so well. <laughs> no, that's... So, I, you know, I, I, as frustrated as he is, Benji, mm. it's not the worst thing in the world to happen to, to Johnny. It might seem like it to him now, but speaking from experience, it's not. It's not. He's got plenty of time on his side. And, and obviously, it's a huge boost for Nigel to have Johnny there because Johnny's someone who knows the club, someone who's already established that connection with the supporters, established that connection with the players. And I know the, the players in the squad would have been happy to see Johnny get the job. I think they're excited about Nigel taking over, but they would have been perfectly happy with Johnny getting the job. So he's clearly got that, that back and forth already, um, that connection with the players. And it's interesting you, you talk about so, so I, I agree with you fully. I think on the day at Wimbledon, Charlton looked their best when they had the two wide players really running at Wimbledon's fullbacks. And I mean, we got to see Liam Miller because he hasn't been at his best for quite a few weeks now. But we got to see Liam Miller, I think, where he excels best, which is can you get him the ball quickly in an attack so that he has space in front of him to run at maybe one fullback and he can because he's not the type of winger that gets into a tight space and can beat players with neat little moves of skill and things like that. He's more a player who wants space to run into, and he can bring your team up the entire pitch because he, he likes to run 60 yards with the ball. He likes to beat a player like that. And I think that was where we saw Liam Miller kind of back to his best. But then what, what Nigel said after the game was that he felt that the team was too open and that 
Wimbledon were sort of dominating yeah. the middle of the pitch, which is what you kind of just said right there. And so he wanted to shift that around. So I do wonder if maybe he'll find a balance with some sort of 4-3-3 formation with the two wingers supporting one striker. And then you can have a defensive midfielder like Watson or Prattley helping the rest of the midfielders, whether that be Jake Forster, Kasky, Albie Morgan, Andrew Shinney, etc. But but it's interesting to me because I, I spoke with you about this before we started recording. Um, I've spent the last week talking to a bunch of players who have played under Nigel Atkins, kind of just learning about what he's like as a manager. And don't worry, that piece will be out soon enough. Um, and the, a big thing that came across with all of them is that Nigel Atkins is a huge believer in sort of the the more intangible elements of the game, the less the less exact elements. And, and a big one is really, you know, putting belief into his players, making them feel confident. And I do think that that is something that I think we all know that Charlton players need right now. For me, it wasn't even the mistake that, that Akin Famuo made on Saturday, because as you said, that's the kind of thing where you just can't really explain it. You know, he made a bad pass and he knows he's done it. Hopefully he'll never do it again. But what worried me from more of a belief standpoint and a confidence standpoint was that after that mistake, the team really sort of retreated into their shell and Wimbledon looked confident and dominant and Charlton looked a little bit scared and uncertain as to how to play. And I think that, you know, you want to see a reaction when a goal goes in and obviously goals change games. And the reaction I felt wasn't the right kind of reaction. So to me, I think that's something that Nigel will want to address over the next few weeks. And just having learned a little bit about his managerial style, I feel like that's likely where he's going to start. Um, the last thing I'll say on that point, because you, you brought up an interesting thing about, about Johnny Jackson. I think we spoke about this on Saturday. is that he spent a really interesting three years learning under Lee Bowyer. It was interesting because obviously everything that happened at the club was dramatic. And he learned a lot, was a very active member. And now he's working under a new manager. And in a lot of ways, you know, I've spoken a lot about, about Lee Bowyer. I think he's a very, very good manager. I think he'll keep Birmingham up. But Nigel Atkins, in a lot of ways, is almost a polar opposite to Lee Bowyer in the sense that Bowyer likes being a bit confrontational. He, we've seen it in the media with how he addresses players. He doesn't mind being brutally honest in, in public. And, and Nigel Atkins is positive in a very different way where he wants to sort of build a close bond with his players through making a personal connection. And so if you're Johnny Jackson, now you're getting a chance to learn under a completely different manager. So think about how you're going to develop yeah. your skill set there. Excuse me. Yeah, um, I, I think... I think, you know, jo Johnny will have worked with managers in the past mm. uh, as a player where you go, I've, done, I've certainly done it, where you've gone, I really like that. And there's things managers do to you where you go, I really don't like that. And, and I have certainly taken things that have happened to me that I've not liked so much and promised myself that if I ever became a coaching manager, not to do that to a mm. player. And they're not really harsh things, just things where I thought, you know, that doesn't do anything for my psyche. Psychologically, I've not got, I've not gained anything from that. So why would you hurt someone's feelings or mm. whatever you need to do to make a reason why, um, you, you know, you, you've got to make your point. So I, I just, I was just brutally honest when, when I spoke to people and said, look, you know, this, this is what I think, this is what I'm, I'm thinking. Uh, and then let them deal with that rather than say, an excuse or, or a reason that perhaps was just that you might think Benji would mm. would alleviate would alleviate the player getting angry, and, and so I just used to be be honest and tell them the truth. And if they if they didn't like it, we'd have a conversation, you know, that after the game was uh, run its course. But in terms of Johnny, he would have taken all the positives from all the managers he worked under as a player, and and and, and let me tell you, it is completely different when you become a coach 
an assistant manager and a manager than it is to being mm. a player. Um, and now he has to put on, obviously, the shoes of, of, of an assistant manager again. And, and, and he'll be taking things from Nigel that perhaps he thought Lee could have done better. Mm. All right? Because it's all, as an assistant, it's a really tricky job, Benji. I've, I've done it. And sometimes you sit there going, I just wouldn't do that. But you have to give the manager your absolute 100% backing. Mm. It's, it's, imper- it's imperative. You cannot sway away from what the manager is doing. Otherwise, you are a terrible assistant. The minute you sway away from that, the players will see a chink and they'll go, ooh, they, oof, they're not really seeing eye to eye here. Yeah. And it, it evolves from that. So even though you might sit there going, ooh, I wouldn't have dealt with that like that, that's just here in the back of your brain. There's no way that can actually come out. And if it does come out, it's got to be with the manager in mm. his office, on his own, just two blokes talking. Otherwise, it's going to cause chaos, right? And you have to understand that. And Johnny does understand that. You know, he's an intelligent guy and he's mm-hmm. a football guy and, and he just wouldn't do it. But, it but, but what he will do is, now that Lee's left, he will see if Nigel, you know, things that perhaps he didn't particularly agree with, he'll see if Nigel does it differently. Mm. And this is what I mean about becoming the man that you are and he doesn't need to be in a rush because Nigel might do a couple of things in the heat of the moment. He might do something tactically. He might do something building up to a game that Johnny goes, I, I really like that. Right now, it might be the three-minute videos he does in the morning going for a walk. Johnny might really like that and start his own little Twitter feed of positivity. Right? You just don't know. However, um, he doesn't need to be in a rush. And that, that's the point I'm making. Um, mm. Uh, and and he, he can sit there and um, and assess, you know, what he, you know, because management isn't for everybody. It, it, he's had the one game in charge where they've gone two 0 down early, and it, for the first half hour he would have been sitting there going, "This is horrendous." But then by the end of the game, you know, it's fantastic, isn't it? You know, the great turnaround, great comeback, team shown great character. He feels a million dollars, so he's walked away from that game feeling a million dollars. Wants to wants to do it again and he hasn't got the opportunity to mm. do it and so you can understand why he sat there on Saturday a little bit crestfallen a little bit hands in pockets you know but that will pass mm. that will pass that is just a human reaction to disappointment that's all that is and you can't have a go in for that in fact you can absolutely forgive him for that mm. um, but what he needs to do is make sure he gets back on the bike as quickly as possible as the assistant manager fall back into Nigel Atkins because that is the way that you start promoting to a team Mm. When you've got a management core that starts to promote together what the manager wants to put in place. And if you've got that, then it's a case of putting uh, round pegs in round holes in terms of the squad. Uh, and then you start getting somewhere. You know, And the squad's a bit of an issue itself in yeah. terms of um, loan signings, etc., etc. You know, It's got a lot of holes in it at the moment. Mm, absolutely. And I'm sure that's something we will discuss in great detail soon enough. Um, so, so just sort of lastly on the topic of Saturday's game, this, this is a question that's come from Tony on Twitter. And he's, he's asked, you know, after Saturday's, after the mistake on Saturday from Famwell, can you personally remember a time when a mistake maybe similar, maybe not similar happened to you and then how your sort of your teammates reacted to it and, and, and how you sort of get over it, how it plays on your mind? Yeah, I mean it's a great question. Actually, it's one of those it's one of those things where I wasn't too bad mentally. You mm. know, it was it was a, a bit of a blessing. So I could make a mistake, and I believed in myself enough because I was quite consistent. Right, that that was the beauty of 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 
what I delivered. It, you know, I was quite consistent and therefore didn't make too many horrendous mistakes. But I remember once um, I got blocked off at a corner. So we're at home. I can't remember the game, I'm afraid, but I got blocked off. I, my man made a run. A second man blocked me. My man gets to the ball first, heads it into the back of the net and curves at half time. He didn't mince his words, curves. So he just went, your man, what happened? And I went, I got blocked off. And he went, same as last time, same as the last goal, got blocked off. And I went, curves, I haven't, God, I haven't been blocked off this season. He went, no, no, two and a half seasons ago, you got blocked off near post. You know, named the team, named the moment, named everything. <laughs> and what you look, yeah, I know, it was, it, it was just, you know, he, he had a memory that was ridiculous, right? And the, the point being is that when you make a mistake, it's not to dwell on that mistake. But what you have to do is learn from it. So if there's two and a half years between getting blocked one season and two and a half years later you get blocked again, it's going to happen, Benji. You can't avoid it. Credit to the opposition for catching you out. You got caught mm-hmm. sleeping. You got blocked off. Your man scored. Ball's gone where your man's gone. Goal. Well done, opposition. Right? But the point being is that you can't dwell on it. Right? Every single player, every single 90 minutes makes a handful, a dozen, two dozen mistakes. Mm. The only ones that get highlighted are the ones that lead to goals against. Right? And that's the issue we have. So when you're a coach watching a game, it's entirely different than a, than a fan watching a game. The fan only remembers the mistake that leads to the goal. I remember the mistake that led to the mistake that led to the goal. So it's, it's, where, it's how far you want to go back. And it, mm. but, but what you have to do as a coaching setup, what you have to do as a manager, what you have to do as a player, is when the mistakes come, is you iron out those mistakes one by one. And the better players will make those mistakes less and less and less and less, and then they go and play higher and higher and higher. The ones that can't learn or don't see it or don't adapt to the mistake they've made end up either staying where they are or going down the league. Mm. And that, we, we go back to recruitment again, you know, recruiting players. And, and, and I can't begin to tell you what a minefield recruitment is. And that's why I forgive anybody for making a mistake on recruitment because it is extremely difficult to target one individual and, and, it, and it hits every single note that you want him to hit. It's, mm-hmm. you know, ticks every box that you want him to tick. It's extremely difficult. Um, and, and that's why success is hard to come by mm-hmm. because people think, I'll oh, recruit, manage, success. You know, building <laughs> blocks. And it's not. You can recruit five players that should work. They should work. Previous experience tell they should work. You hire a manager. Previous experiences tells you it should work. It just doesn't work in, that, in this setup. And that's why football is how it is. And that's why you see managers go from one post where they're extremely successful into another post, not so successful, into another post, not so successful, next one, successful again. Because the same formula doesn't work every time. All right? You might not get the backing at one club that you've got at the other. You might have have three or four players that buy into what you're doing and they're the key players in the squad. The next club, they don't buy into it. Three or four players buy into it, but they're not the key players at the club. So no, just you know, there's always alpha males in every dressing room. So it's an extremely complex and complicated reason why things work. But um, uh, you know, f- from my perspective, when whenever I made a mistake, it was just to learn from how was it my fault? Was it good play from them? How could I avoid it next time? Um, and and that's essentially how my brain worked: was to iron out every mistake I make, make them less and less. Uh, and not to get caught out the same way again. If it was good movement from a centre forward, which you know there's some 
very good centre forwards out there with very good movement. If I got caught out one game, learn from it. How did I get caught out? What did he do to catch me out? Okay, right, I remember. Don't get caught out like that again. And sometimes that makes you go too safe, unfortunately. But I'd rather be too safe than not safe enough because it only takes once. And I, unfortunately, Benji couldn't catch any once. I couldn't catch <laughs> up with anybody once I'd made the mistake. So <laughs> Richard Rufus could make Richard Rufus could make a hundred mistakes, and he could catch up with the fella that that got past him. I couldn't, unfortunately. So I uh, I had to be a lot sharper and a lot more alert. <laughs> yeah, you could no no mistakes allowed for Brownie. Had to be no. had to be perfect, or else he's getting punished. Um, that's why you never made any mistakes, though. Um, but I made I made plenty, Benji. I made plenty. <laughs> but I guess so. It's an it's an interesting one. Famo's mistake on, on at the weekend because a he's been pretty much fantastic the entire season when he's played. He's been sharp he hasn't really put a foot wrong and then he makes the mistake on Saturday and it's one of those mistakes where you know the thing to learn and I guess the thing to do better is that you just you can't do like like it's not a particularly complicated mistake in that sense where you would have to watch it dozens of times to figure out what you did wrong you can kind of look at it and see what you did wrong right there but in, in the wake of that there's been a lot of and sort of in the wake of this being a season with lots of individual errors from Charlton I know there's been a lot of talk on Twitter and I just looked and I got a couple of people asking um, about passing out from the back and and why yep. Charlton do it so much much why they persist with it why it doesn't work so obviously you've been a defender you've coached as well I was just curious to hear your thoughts on this this idea of passing out from the back and how it should be done yeah I mean it's a it's a tough one to to, to just answer a random why do they pass out from the mm. back because you need to be in Charlton's setup to understand why they pass out from the back not 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 every setup passing out from the back um, is the same you know, you know, if if I tried to pass out from the back, it would be it would be purely to pass through the units. I what it would mean, Benji, is that I didn't have the players to go direct. I didn't have wide players that were strong aerially, or a front player that was strong, or a target man that could hold up the ball. So you generally try and move teams around and, and make the pitch wide and long, so depth and and width, mm. because you need to play because you don't have the physical elements to be a little bit more direct. You don't have the pace to turn teams around. You don't have the target man to hold the ball up. You don't have a midfield that can, you know, that can that can do box to box. So like if you've got a midfield that can't do box to box, you've got a choice to make. Do you have two sitters and play out from the back? Do you, do you go one sitting, two in front and, and let the two in front go high up the pitch and just get knockdowns and play in the opponent's half, get the back line up as quick as you can? Tactics is vast. It is enormous. It's as big as the galaxy and you can do as much with it as you want or as little with it as you want that's the beauty of football mm. you can narrow it down so a player in possession only has two choices you, you can have that you can give a ball to a right back and make the movement patterns in front of him six choices right but you can give him you can give him the ball and give him one choice it's forward you're not allowed to play sideways backwards you can go forward diagonally you can go forward straight but you can't go sideways or backwards you've just you've just killed him in terms of the choices he can make Right? But then what that does for the rest of the team, they know the ball is going forward. So you don't drop off to receive. So this is what I mean about there are coaches out there that give players less responsibility. They don't allow them to make certain passes. And there are coaches out there that want total freedom and accept the consequences when it goes wrong. Mm. What I would say about Charlton is this is why you have to ask the staff. This is why you have to ask um, why they, they do that because is it is it to try and bring your position on a little bit to make a little bit more space in between the unit gaps do they generally want to play if they want to genuinely play out 
right? Then the midfielders, just they're not looking, basically, to play out. So it goes to Famo. You need a midfielder to come short, you know, at least one to come short, if not a secondary one, which is about another five yards higher and on a diagonal. You know, and and you need that. You then need the fullback to drop in a little bit. So if it goes into the central midfielder and he's pressurised, it can first time around the corner to the fullback, who then should have an option to go first time inside to a striker. So, you know, it. it I've I've done that setup at Brighton's under 18s, mm-hmm. and it takes time, Benji, to work through options and players and how to play out. And and I I, I don't quite know what. Charlton are trying to do when they do split the two centre halves because it doesn't look like they're trying to play out as in total football <laughs> because not enough players come to receive not enough players come to the ball they're not brave enough I mean if you go back to the Fleetwood game I was I was a little bit critical not overly critical because I never am because I know how difficult it is all right to coach a manager side um, they kept trying to play out and the ball kept going to Gunter but he was coming back towards his own goal. So when he was receiving, he was receiving coming back towards his own goal. He was getting pressurised by two players and he was on his left foot. So you tell me what Gunter can do in that scenario from your building out from the back. He can't do anything other than hoik it round the corner mm. left-footed as far as he can, which he did. Now, I understand the wind was extremely fierce that day, but you had Stockley, right? And I would have just put Stock like I would have really... Like you, you didn't want to lose at Fleetwood. It was a horrible place to go. The wind was howling. You didn't want to get caught in possession. But they tried to play out about six times, and they got caught six times. And I was just saying, trying to say gently, I think it's time they put Stockley on the weakest fullback and just drove the ball as far as they could and let him airily go for it and position yourself for the knockdown, the seconds, mm. whatever you want to call it. There's many things you can call that, and then play from there. And if it drops down, turn him around again. But turn them around rather than us defending from our own goal kick. You know, so there's lots of things, um, you know, and, and even if we're just talking here, you know, you get the sense of how how much work it takes. The players that you need to be brave in possession, their options when they do receive, are they receiving at the right angle? Is the pass, the weight of pass, the right weight that they can play first time or they can take it on the back foot to turn and switch play out the other side? There's so much goes into it that a supporter that doesn't really understand the intricacies of football won't really know how difficult it is to set that up. Mm. But the the, the 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 thing I would say is, you, you asking me is very, very difficult because I can give you Steve Brown's view of a Steve Brown team, but I can't give you the view of a Charlton team because I don't know what they're trying to achieve with it, mm. right? So, if it, you know, you'd have to actually ask somebody on their staff who would say, well, this is what we're trying to do, you know, and we need to be braver here and here and here because those are the players that aren't quite getting that right. And that's why you keep working on it on the training ground. And like I said to you, if you watch a game of 90 minutes as a coach, there'll be so many things that haven't gone right, right? But we don't, you can't correct every single one because you wouldn't ever move on from that game. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what, and that's what, right? But when it does come right, it is brilliant. Mm. You know, and we all pat ourselves on the back when it does go right. Um, but yeah, I, I must admit, I, I looked at Saturday, like particularly, my argument was on Saturday when, when Fanwell made the mistake, 
you should never flick it with the outside of your left. So I, I was right-footed. I, I would never really flick a ball with the outside of my right back to my goalkeeper. And, and, I, and I dare say, I don't think he will ever again. You know, so the next one, it'll be a side foot back in. I mean, it was suggested in commentary that he didn't even re- re- realise that Longman was coming. I'm not so sure that was the case. I think he did know he was coming. I think he tried to black back to the keeper with more pace on it and just, just mishit yes, the, the yeah. pass itself. But it was a bit lazy, if I'm honest. It was a bit casual. It was a flick with the outside of the left and it didn't make it. And he's suffering for it, you know, because questions get raised. Mm. Now, we've, we've already discussed this. Don't ever make that one again. Tick it off as a, as a horrible experience. Don't make it again. If you're caught in that position again, make sure the keeper receives that ball <laughs> to punt it as far up the pitch as he can. Um, and, and, and quite honestly, we've become better players, Benji. We've become better managers we become better coaches when our teams make mistakes you learn more about your teams in adversity than you do actually in success and that's a fact you just do you learn about characters you learn about you know how players respond you learn about how they rebound from the setback how much they take in for how many days how many days does it affect them you know and so you learn a lot more and then what you learn as well is that when that the next game rolls around how they've adapted, have they learned? Is, is it the player that you can trust that will only, you know, will only make that mistake once? Or is he a bit of a, is he a bit of a liability? He'll do the same flick with the outside left again and the consequ- he knows the consequences if he gets it wrong could be a goal against, but he's going to do it again anyway. You know, so you learn more about players and about situations when things go wrong, funny enough. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's just making sure that as you move forward, if you can correct every player if you could just give him one or two things every game, you know, and it takes a lot of care and attention. I've said this to people. People don't understand that, like, my Saturday was watching the youth team, going to watch the first team. I'd come home Saturday night and I already have the game coded on my laptop by our analyst and I'd be watching the game Saturday night. Wow. I'd, go, I'd, watch it, I'd watch it again Sunday night. I'd spend Sunday with the family. Sunday night, I'd watch the game again. Monday, we had training in the morning and I did individual analysis player by player over Monday afternoon and Tuesday afternoon yeah and if you don't have that care and attention if you don't take those under 18s or senior players and say and it doesn't matter if they're if they're PSC or they're fame mm. that they'll appreciate that you're trying to help or they should do if you don't deliver it in a, in, in a way that's criticism but in a way that you know look if you did this that would help if you did this that would help I've identified that Look, I'll just give you an option. If you did that, that would be better for your game, right? And if you did that with all 11 players on the pitch, you're going to make a marked improvement over the course of a season because mm. you're just ironing out all the kinks in everyone's game, which we all have. We all have kinks in our, uh, yeah, um, chinks in our armour. All of us, right? Every single player that lives and plays and breathes football has chinks in the armour. Your job as a coach or as, or as the player themselves, but they've got to take responsibility as well, is to iron out those things, all right? And you become a better player. Some don't want the responsibility. Some don't like the feedback because they take it as criticism. You know, others want the feedback. They want to improve. You know, again, you've got so many different individuals across the board in terms of your squad. And you just hope that everybody wants to improve, wants to take it on board. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those ones where... Um, You'd like to think everybody playing football, wearing a football shirt, wants to improve and wants to listen. But some, some, some unfortunately, 
you know, get their back up when you pull it up. Mm. They, it, it, you know, you make an example of them, you know, and this is why you have to be very careful about and understand the characters you've got. Some you have to do it on their own individually. Some you can do in a group, you know, as a unit and some, some meetings are in front of the whole team. You know, if it's really, really bad and the form's bad in the team, you have to do it in front of the team and you have to thrash it out together. But, you know, it's, it's um, like I said, it's a lot more complicated and complex than people think it is. You mm. know, they think we turn up, score one more than the other, don't make any mistakes, you know, jolly good show. And it's not. It's a lot of hard work, Benji. And, and a lot of hours go into, particularly when you finish playing. Playing is, you know, you're wrapped up in cotton wool. They're the best days of your lives. You become a coach and manager. They're the most stressful days of your life. <laughs> you know? And they're long hours. If you want to do it properly, it's long, long hours. And you have to care about the individual and the team more than you care about your career. Mm. Because that is essentially why you're employed. You're employed not to make Steve Brown a coach or a manager. You're employed to make that team better. And, you're, and, and actually, by making the team better, you might be more successful. Um, but you have to quickly learn that it's not about you. It's about the team that you're in charge of. And if you really care, you'll spend a lot of man hours making sure that you find uh, those those um, chinks in the armour that, that may help a player improve. Yeah, no, that's that's very, very interesting. And I guess in, in some ways, I mean, you obviously want to win that game and you obviously don't want to make the mistakes. But I guess as an introduction to the team, you know, Adkins having that little adversity for the team to fight through, you would hope in the long run could be a positive thing and that he could learn from the team and they could learn from him about how his style is in terms of, you know, getting those chinks out and, and making the team recover from mistakes. So, you know, you would hope there would be a positive. It's hard to say that in yeah. the moment because a mistake is never, never feels positive and it never really is. But I mean, Slightly switching gears, only a little bit, because we'll continue talking about this. It, it, to, to, to do the In This Week in Brownie's Career, I know we normally end with that, but it's <laughs> next to some other things that we're going to be talking about. So in, in the, on this day, in the 2000, or in this week, actually, in the 2000-2001 season, it was the international break as well. Um, and leading up to the international break, Charlton had one defeat in, in 10, and then coming out of the international break, ended the season with four defeats in eight. And I want to I preface this by saying that that was an incredible season for the club and for the team. I mean, to come up from the championship and finish ninth in the Premier League is a pretty ridiculous feat. But just in terms of sort of, because we spoke about momentum and the hope, I guess, is that this international break can push some, can reignite some momentum. Not to say that Charlton haven't had any in recent weeks, but the hope is that, you know, Adkins can really come in, get his ideas across and, and reignite some momentum for the final few weeks. And I guess this was almost a case, you could look at it as the opposite, just, just looking at the result, that this maybe sort of hit the momentum in that season. So... A, I just wanted to ask you, what, what is international break like for a player? And B, do you, do, do you see it that way? Do you think something else happened? And, and yeah. Right. So going back to our, our season, I'll, I'll clear that one up first. Yeah. We were very renowned for getting to our goal <laughs> and almost what felt like relaxing and enjoying the rest of the season. So our goal was to stay in the Premier League. We were little old Charlton in 2001. We weren't established in the Premier League. We were little old Charlton, doing well, punching above their weight. And we set the target of 40 points, which was safety every season. Mm. And every year we got there, we, um, we, we kind of relaxed a little bit. We didn't mean to. It was subconscious. Mm. And everybody would go, oh, they're, they're the favourite at the time was they're on the beach already, you know, for the summer. And, 
it was quite annoying because we weren't. We were still working hard. We were still wanting to win games because, quite honestly, you know, winning games brings you more money. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're in a con, I've, I know I've gone over this before in previous podcasts, but my contracts were geared to success and playing. Mm. If I wasn't playing and we weren't winning, uh, I, I mean, I, they were. I was paying them. You know, so <laughs> that's not strictly true, but but um, yeah, I I had to be playing I, or involved at the very least, and winning made a big difference to my salary at the end of the month. So it, it saddened me every time we went on a on a run like that because it meant I couldn't have a Chinese takeaway at the weekend. So, but um, it's um, yeah, in that respect, we set a goal. And when we reached it, I guess subconsciously we switched off because we knew we were going to be playing Premier League football the following season. Mm. And actually Richard Murray's answer to that was to make much bigger bonuses um, for finishing higher up the league. So the higher you finished, the more money you got pro rata per game at the end of the season as a bonus, which was a very, very good idea. Because, mm. it, it, you know, and a lot of people will argue, well, hold on a minute, you're footballers, you earn enough money. But, not everybody was earning very, very good money. And they have to understand that. So incentives are exactly that. You know, they're incentives and they, and they do drive people on. Uh, and, and, and I don't know if it made that much of a difference. Statistically, uh, you'd have to have a look when the, when the, when the um, bonus was brought in to the results we got. But in terms of international break as a player, boring. Yeah. Lots of players disappear. Uh, you generally get a couple of days off more than you would because your squad is, you know, small back at the training ground. You know, we were down to sometimes 10, 12 players. Um, and, and Curbs would say, go and enjoy yourself. Go and spend a couple of days with your family. I remember going off to Centre Parks a couple of times. I had two young kids. So we disappeared at Centre Parks. And actually, that was worse than training. I'd rather have been in training. <laughs> 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 used to come back from centre parks tired, more tired than if I'd gone in training. But uh, but but you enjoyed those family moments because uh, you, you know you, you didn't you didn't get too many opportunities mm-hmm. to go away other than the the, the, the the summer holiday, which you had to take it all in one hit. You know, a couple of weeks in, every summer, and that was your lot. So it was not. It was nice to get away. Training wasn't particularly great. It was very bitty because there was only twelve players, and then. The internationals came and went and everybody came back. But those players would be tired. They've done travelling if they've been away and they'd be a bit tired. So they need a couple of days to get back into it properly. And actually, if I'm honest, you only really got back into full strides on the Thursday and Friday before the game. Mm. So they were very disruptive. Mm. It was my memory of it. Um, and I've, you know, I was never in, uh, away on an international break, so um, <laughs> they, they never, never even got remotely close. So in that respect, it was just... Yeah, it was very, um, yeah, it was, it was very disrupted and, mm. and, and not, not, not enjoyable because I like training to be competitive. I like yeah. to go in and I like to be competitive and I like to know we were training for a purpose. Mm. And actually, you knew that week there was no purpose. There was nothing at the end of the week. You were just going to go home, you know, and, and at some day you were going to run as well. There was going to be a session where you were going to run hard because he was going to give you a couple of days off. And Curves couldn't give you a couple of days off without making you sick running around a track. <laughs> so, you know, all that came into play. But uh, for, for, for Charlton now, mm. I think the international breaks come at a very good time, mm. uh, particularly with the appointment. So, therefore, Nigel can, can really work with the team. He's got a very tough running. We, we know that, you know, on paper, he's playing sides in the top half. Um, 
and and at the very least, if 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 results don't go our way, at least he gets to see the core of the team between mm-hmm. now and the end of the season, which will make an impression on him into next season. So even if if results went great and we got in the playoffs, brilliant. That's super. You know, that really is quite amazing. If we don't and it tails off, at least Nigel's got to work with people. And the loan signings, I don't think any of the loan signings will sign. You know, that's my that's my impression. I just don't think any of the loan signings will sign for next season. So therefore we've got a lot of gaps to fill. The recruitment mm-hmm. drive is going to be very, very important in the summer. Probably the most important recruitment drive we've had for a very, very long time at the football club because we have finally got an owner that will, you know, help and, and will back Nigel if he really feels like the purchase is warranted. I think I think Thomas Sangard will, will back him. Mm. But it has to be, you know, I think we need to get more players in the building that are permanent. I don't really want to see a side that's made up of four or five loan signings again next year. But by the same token, Benji, you can't just keep expecting Thomas Sangard to put his hand in his pocket yeah. every week and bail the club out. So there's a balance to be had. I don't know how much Thomas wants to spend. I don't know if we have to fill the, the side next year with a, maybe two or three loan signings and maybe the following year we, we, we get ourselves a side that's all child because he just doesn't want to spend it all in one season. Maybe a loan signing comes up that's so good that we can't turn it down. But I'd love to see a side next year that's got 15, 16, 17, 18 players all signed on mm. and maybe one or two loan, loan players you know, to, to help and aid but I certainly don't want to see the side made up of four or five loan players, that's for sure. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. And to be honest, I was initially thinking we would discuss today sort of how the recruitment should look next um, neck in the summer. But I honestly think that's going to, as a wider topic, and I have to wait for a later podcast because we're already yeah. running out of time a little bit. And another thing that sort of has struck me is is the, the academy because – this season, there's only one player from Charlton's Academy who's played more than 10 games, Albie Morgan. And in the past two seasons, it's been five last season and seven the season before. So that to me is a concern as well. And obviously something that Nigel Atkins has already spoken about wanting to address and wanting to, you know, reestablish that pathway that's maybe been slightly missing this season. Um, but but it's very interesting, you know, because you, you speak about the international big break being disruptive for your team which makes sense when half the squad is leaving to go play in countries around the world but Charlton are in a a nice position I guess where only Chris Gunter and Liam Miller are going on international yeah. now the Connor Washington was supposed to but he's obviously now injured so he's not going and the rest of the squad's going to be there so he really is going to have time and the opportunity to do a full appraisal the training as you said before it should be competitive because the players want to prove themselves to the new manager so while international breaks oftentimes I think are disruptive for, for teams it seems like as you were saying that this is potentially going to be the perfect thing for, for the entire team and for the manager to have yeah, it, it should be. I mean, it doesn't really get much better for, for a manager than to walk in. He hasn't lost that first game. Mm. Uh, and then he gets two weeks solid, you know, which is an eternity in football, Benji. In fact, it's too long. You know, you want you, you, you just need a good, solid week. Because what you don't want to do is bore the players. You, you don't want to bore them. They'll switch off. You know, they're notorious. I, I've been one. And concentration levels do dwindle if you tend to go over the same thing. You know, and you repeat and you repeat and you repeat. So a week is almost perfect. Two weeks, what you might do is in the first week, just have real high intensity training. Again, you know, 
I speak from personal experience about loving high intensity training. It's all manufactured now by sports science, you know, which is, saddens me a little bit. You know, don't train them too hard on Tuesday night because you know, they worked hard yesterday. I couldn't think of anything worse. I want to go in and I want to play and I want to play hard and I want to win. That was that was the whole point of sport for me. Yeah. The whole point of being in the team. If it's a five-a-side on a Monday, you know, or a 2v2 head tennis game on a Thursday afternoon, I'm playing to win it. Simple as that. Training or match, I didn't care. And I loved, and the more intense the training was, the, the, the harder the, the, you know, the, 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 you know, we competed against each other, the better it was for mm. me. I couldn't stand training where we were just drifting through it. Couldn't stand it. And, um, you know, didn't mind taking a hit in training as long as, you know, I could give a hit. Mm. And, and, and much to the detriment, actually, Curbs used to hate that. You know, uh, he used to pair me up with, we used to do a keep ball and I'd, I'd have to pair up with Richard because, you know, Richard Rufus, because, you know, Curbs didn't want us to kick anybody else. <laughs> so, uh, just stuff like that. But, but, but nowadays, I think maybe make the first week, you know, a week where you work hard. It's fun. Mm. It's competitive. Um, and it's a, a high tempo. And then the second week, you start going into your tactical stuff. Because mm. you don't want to do tactical stuff for two weeks, Benji. It'll bore the living daylights yeah. out of the players. Um, so maybe the first week is high intensity, all, all good, hard, competitive stuff. You know, and there's plenty of sessions you can do for that. They might be small-sided, that, mm. you, you know, um, and et cetera, et cetera. But certainly the second week, you've got to hit the ground with what you want out of the team. Mm. That is your job now as a manager is to say, right, Monday Monday uh, morning we are in and I am starting to work on what we want for this Saturday against Doncaster. It's not going to be, it's not, oh, sorry, it's not going to be, um, you, you know, we're not, we're, not, we're not identifying what Doncaster have done. We'll do that Thursday or Friday. Mm. But what, what I'm going to work on this week is what I've seen from the game at Wimbledon, what I want us to do better, how I want us to, to set up. Um, he might not show his cards that early, but certainly he'll, start working on them as a team i would have thought but again you know everybody's different no, uh, you know uh, it, it, it's it's actually very very interesting hearing you hearing you say that because as as you know I, I i was telling you i've i've been having these conversations with players that adkins has managed and it sounds like you two kind of have very similar ideas of what training should look like because I, I i was speaking with ricky lambert who obviously scored a lot of goals for nigel adkins in in his time and he was saying that he thinks that the charlton players will really really enjoy adkins's training because the way that he does it is is, is exactly what you were saying before high intensity short-sighted games you know competitions he wants the players to feel competitive in training he wants them to feel like they're you know working for a goal in training in in the short term you know trying to win that small-sided scrimmage or whatever and in the long term trying to win that football game on Saturday and trying to get promoted for the season yeah. and you know he doesn't like to do things like running he likes to if, if he's gonna have players run he wants it to be with a football and he wants it to be involved in, in a game like that so I think that the players will enjoy that a lot just sort of hearing how, what you enjoyed I get the impression that the Charlton players will get a lot out of his training which obviously you want and then as you said at the same time you do have to start getting those tactical ideas into their heads and start getting them to play the way that you want them to play and I guess it's it's all about finding a balance it feels like everything in football is finding yeah. a balance between not it, too much but still giving enough yeah it, it really is and 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 actually the the, the thing that I took into my management managerial career from my playing days is I, mm. I, I didn't understand why because there are players Benji whether people want to believe it or not that turn up just to get through training mm -hmm. they just live for the matches 
they were quite the opposite of what I was. I like to train. I like to be competitive because if I'm honest with you, if I didn't do that, I didn't feel like I was in a position to do my best on a Saturday, mm. which is where it mattered. I couldn't hold back during the week and then perform on a Saturday. I had to, I had to go hard, 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 rest hard game on a Saturday. And then I felt like I was ready. I was very fortunate actually, because when I, I had a, we had a reserve team manager who became first team coach called Keith Peacock and Keith's mm-hmm. sessions were uh, probably not to everybody's likings because it's impossible to cover everyone in a squad. But for me, they were the best sessions because they were exactly what Steve Brown needed in a very selfish way. They were all working within areas and I love to defend, as you well know. You spoke to me off air many, many times and Keith would concentrate on... He'd, he'd loved an attack the defence, whether that be 1v1, 2v2, 3v3, 4v4, 5v5. It didn't matter. But mm. he always made it a competitive element. And I loved being that defender in the session. Um, and, and, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed working with Keith in terms of the training sessions that Keith would put on. It was right up my street. Some players didn't like to be that competitive. Mm. Klaus Jensen couldn't think of anything worse. It's training. What are we doing? You know, why are we doing this? <laughs> Just give me a ball and I'll create. But don't touch me. Don't touch me in training because I'm the creator. You know, so Klaus was the opposite of me. You know, you take Mark Kinsella, like me, trained to win. Simple as that. And we had a squad in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s that was extremely competitive on the training field. And I think it's why we were close-knit. And I think it's mm. why we were successful. But not everyone's like that. But Keith Sessions, what I, I meant to say, um, was that they built up what I needed. That I needed to get off the mark quick to be able to make my blocks, to be to make my challenges. I wasn't particularly quick over 30 yards, but over five yards, I could get off the mark and make a block, which essentially for in, a, in a defender's world is the important bit. If a striker gets away from me by you know, a yard from me, can I make that ground up really quick? Or if he makes his move, can I respond to that and be a little bit quicker than him and nick the ball down the side, you know. And Keith Sessions allowed for that. With You know, within his sessions, there was lots of movement, lots of short, sharp turns, lots of pushing off the thigh muscles were burning at the end of the session. And don't get me wrong, I used to finish Keith Sessions and I would be on the floor. But I loved them. I loved them. I'd much rather do that, be on the floor, than just run around a pitch, you yeah. know, time off time, or do doggies, or do half laps, full laps, whatever, you know, 400 metre runs, whatever. I just, you know, that bored the life out of me. But, mm-hmm. but I, you, you know, I'd rather done double the work in the session than half the work running, you know. So it's just how I was. But, yeah, I, I, I think he can certainly afford to make training more competitive without risking injuries this week mm-hmm. uh, and then, t- then tone that down next week as he starts to do. I mean, he might start implementing stuff. I mean, I used to implement stuff straight away without him even knowing mm-hmm. I was implementing stuff. But just, 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 just subconsciously saying, just, can you just think about where we're showing players, what we're doing defensively? You can do that in the first week, no problem. You mm. know, should you have let him in there? Should you have let him in there? You know, little subconscious things whilst you're talking, just watching the session, it's competitive, but just throwing in the odd, you know, the odd um, comment. But second week, you start nailing it down. Now, it's very unusual that he's got those two weeks. Yeah. Normally, normally you're Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. And, and do you know what? When you're Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, you're getting a day to work on the team on the next. If you're lucky, you've got two. And that's, and that's if everybody's fit. 
you might have to give somebody an extra couple of days to get through an injury, you know, and he might only train on the Friday. And all these things people don't see, you know, you, you, you might want to work on the back four and two and having the rest because they've got an Achilles problem or a knee swollen up. So they haven't been able to train, so you can't work on the back four, you know. All these things, uh, you, you know, crop up, particularly when games come thick and fast. Yeah, and and sort of you know what 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 seems like something Atkins will do is that sort of conscious and subconscious um, adoption and, and and implementation of his ideas. That subconscious implementation, where you know if they're doing a five v five game, if they're playing even eleven on eleven, he spoke about wanting to do a sort of in-house training game this week yep. for a couple of them. You know the things that you're saying while that's happening. That, as you rightly said, is going to subconsciously already start to get the ideas into your head into the players' heads, and that's before you sort of are working on, I guess, exact shape where you're looking at a screen and, and looking at what players did wrong or what they did right in a game, say, versus Wimbledon. So I think, you know, he, I'm sure, will focus on both those, the conscious and subconscious ways of doing it. Unfortunately, we're, we're running out of time. I feel like we could speak about all this forever, and I'm sure... <laughs> I, I told, I, I've told you a million times, if you're going to start a podcast, you might as well make it four hours because I just can't <laughs> stop myself thinking. Well, I, I can't say, help it. I'm sure once I, I I stop pressing record, we'll continue chatting because that seems like. Uh, well, funny enough, funny enough today, I've got I've got lots of stuff to do, so we might have to just cut it off and only have a couple of minutes. But well, normally we're a good we're normally a good half hour, aren't we? After so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably for the best. We can both do more productive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the the last question, and this one's come on from Twitter, and this is the a real treat for anyone who's listened throughout the entire podcast. You're going to get another animal related question, not super <laughs> football related, but I know that you're all very curious about brownies about brownies answer. And this one's good because normally the questions are really actually meant for you, but this one it seems like it's been made for both of us. So the question. Okay. Coming from Elliot on Twitter, what's the biggest animal either of you could single-handedly duct tape to a lamppost? I don't know how he came up with that, to be honest. That is the question. The biggest. <laughs> uh, I'll go. I'll go. Anaconda. <laughs> wow! Bold, bold. No explanation. Yeah. Well, he's going to climb up the lamppost. I don't even have to do anything. He's going to climb and wrap himself around the lamppost, and I'm going to strap him to it. I haven't got fighting, nothing. Work smart, not hard. That is the, <laughs> that is the lesson from Brownie's answer. You know, I mean, they 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 grow to the length of the lamppost. I'm, you know, they're, they're, they're massive. <laughs> My favorite thing about about asking this question it was the same last week with the similarly silly, stupid, uh, depends on what you want to call it, question about animals is that before you answer, you really give it a few seconds of thought. <laughs> You're not just going to answer off the bat. You want to think about it and answer right. <laughs> so, well, I, I was thinking, I was thinking, do, you know, you don't want to go heavyweight, do you? If you pick a heavyweight animal, the bigger the animal or heavier it is, the more chance you've got of just being bullied and you won't actually strap him to the post. You know, if I stick a bit of food at the top of the lamppost, up the anaconda goes, wrap some duct tape around him, and there, I've got this huge anaconda. I mean, are we talking length here or girth? I mean, it's not very clear. Not specified in the question. I'm, right? I'm going for, I'm going for, you know, I'm going for meters and meters worth of length here on an anaconda. I mean, they're quite meaty. They're hard to pick up. They are. You see them when they find them. I mean, they're big old heavy lumps. I don't think you can top that. 
How are you yeah, gonna? I definitely, mine, mine definitely doesn't top it. See, my my thought process was I have to choose an animal that I feel like I can catch because if I can't catch it, how am I duct taping it to the lamppost? You of course got around that with the very clever thing of tricking the anaconda to go on the lamppost for you, but I wasn't that clever, so I have to pick something that I can catch. And I felt a penguin because they're not particularly quick. I don't think they they're birds, but they can't fly, so I think I could catch them. And then I get the impression that they're relatively docile enough so that I could duct tape it to the lamppost. You're shaking your head at me. You think that's the wrong answer. <laughs> it's tiny. I mean, <laughs> the only chance you have is a king penguin. I mean, that's quite big. But a regular penguin, you can put in a handbag, can't you? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I mean, it's just me. I think that's, I think you've really undersold yourself, if I'm honest. <laughs> God, I'm getting horribly judged for my choice. But you know what? I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it more thought for the next seven days. That's all I'm gonna think about. And next week, I'm gonna come back to you with a new animal for rival uh, anaconda. Brilliant. But anyway. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I can't wait for the next animal question. I can't wait. <laughs> keep them coming. Keep them coming. But anyway, sadly, that's all we have time for today. Thank you again all so much for listening. This will be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. It'll hopefully be on there. Feel free to subscribe. Drop us a five-star review if you want. Either way, thanks a lot for listening. It's been a pleasure as always. This is Benji and Brownie bringing you Brownie and Benji. Till next time. Take care.